0: It is good to be back here with you. Uh, I can let you know that Toby and Susan and their family are doing well in Cambridge. It was a delight to be with them last Sunday, which is why I wasn't here. And so I have been here less than I, um, I've been missed more, I have missed here more than I have been here in the last uh, four weeks. So I am the pastor here, and so some of you haven't met me, um, good to be back with you. I am um, so thankful for Craig's teaching in the Gospel of John and for Pastor Ty's handling of Romans 1. And so we will refer back to Romans 1 often as we go through the book of Romans. It is very helpful to understand uh, how this uh, book fits together. And if I could summarize the book of Romans, it would be like a very, very logical friend. If you... Who needs a logical friend? Someone standing on a bridge wanting to take their life, and their logical friend shows up and says, don't take your life. That might be an extreme condition. Another extreme, less extreme condition, you may take a logical friend with you to the shoe store, and you already have 50 pairs of shoes that match every outfit, and your logical friend says, do you really need another pair of shoes? like, oh, who, who invited you? <laughs> and at that time, you don't want a logical friend. Or maybe you're looking at a new car, and uh, it's going to have to go on, uh, on uh, um, you're going to go into debt for it, and your logical friend says, I thought you were struggling financially. This is not a wise purchase. Oh, yeah, you're right. So there are logical friends, and usually spouses are, are good friends for each other. I do not look at uh, life the same way as my wife, and I'm logical where uh, she is less logical, and there are many times that she is logical, and I'm like, oh, no, I really want to do this, and she's like, I, I don't think that's, that's smart. So humility requires us to listen to a logical friend. And pride gets in the way of us listening to a logical friend and making poor choices the problem with romans is if people make a poor choice they could have eternal consequences this book is going to equip you as saints to know how to share the gospel logically with all types of people who are not right with god this book will also near the end of the book is written for believers uh, to know how to uh, encourage and comfort yourself at the end of life. Romans 8 is the, my favorite passage in all of Scripture to take you to if you're uh, struggling when, know that death is coming to you. Uh, Romans 8 would be your best friend, very logical friend that you need when you face death. Uh, and uh, all kinds of other uh, practical things we'll get to in the book of Romans. And so today, uh, we have seen... In Romans 1, the person who needs saving, who needs a Savior, is the immoral person. This person that we have heard of the last five weeks, the last two weeks in particular, is a person that you do not want to be related to, a person you don't want to have as a neighbor. And I'll show you from Romans 1 why that is. A person that you, if you see them on the street, you try to avoid them. If you see them at a family reunion, you try to avoid them. The world tries to avoid them because they are destructive. They're destroying themselves and anyone around them. They're dragging them down quickly. Proverbs would call this person a scoffer. And... Romans 1 would call this person, if you go back with me, to verse 28. God has given them up. This is the third time God gave them up to a debased mind. Their mind doesn't work properly. Their body's not working properly. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So, this would be like if, you're, if we could imagine ourselves before the flood in Genesis 6. Every thought and the imagination of every heart... Was only evil continually. Okay, imagine the whole world is like Romans 1. God says they've got to be destroyed. Okay, fortunately, the whole world is not like Romans 1. There are a lot of Romans 2 people, and there might be some here, there might be some watching. And uh, we'll get to Romans 2 in a second. But to, to appreciate the, the, the distinctions here that Romans is going to, Paul is going to give us here, you will talk to people that are scoffers and you tell them they need Christ and they'll say, Ha! Get out of here! Don't talk to me about that again! They get angry! This is likely who you're talking to is, is Romans 1 someone who god has let go someone whose life is filled with look at verse 29 again unrighteousness evil covetousness they want what other people have all the time malice they try to hurt as many people as possible and when they're told they're hurting people they don't care Verse 29 continues, they are full of, notes, see the filled with and full of, this, is con- this sin is just consuming this life, full of envy. What is envy? Different than coveting. Coveting is wanting what someone else has. Envy is someone else has something nice, I don't know why they have it and I don't. And this is how they think. And they think this way all the time. All their thoughts are like this. Everything that someone else has that they wish they had makes them envious. All the time. They're filled with this. Continuing. They are murderous. If they can't kill someone, they plan to kill someone. They want to take people's lives. Strife. You cannot have, it's very, very difficult to be married to a person like this because they argue about everything. Deceit, you cannot trust a word they say. Maliciousness, they're always up to no good. They are gossips, slanderers, those two together. What's the difference between a gossip and a slanderer? A gossip is someone who just shares rumors and things that you would not want someone sharing about you. That's what a gossip does. And then a slander, sharing things that you don't want other people to share, but it for the purpose of making you look bad or making the other person look bad. That's what a slander is. But they're doing this all the time. You cannot trust them with any sensitive information. Why? Because they are known to be a gossip. They are known to be a Slanderer. Continuing, they are haters of God. They are insolent, or insubordinate, or violent. That word has this connotation of they are um, highly, highly reactive, and they, no one's going to tell them what to do. Haughty, they think of themselves only. We would say today narcissistic. Boastful. Anytime they do something good, they want everyone to know about it. All the time. They invent evil. They are disobedient to parents. All the time. No matter what mom and dad say, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. All the time? Yeah. They're foolish. They're faithless. They're heartless. They're ruthless. This is a life that God has let go. Now, we have all of us struggle with all of these things. And yet, they're, they're not the only category of people that are condemned by God in Romans 1 and 2. They're the obvious category of people. These are the people that usually end up in jail because no one tells me what to do. All oh, right, you're going to tell it to the police officer and the judge. And you try to, and they'll put you in jail. Cheating on their taxes, all the time. Lying to people, dishonest, all the time. Hating people around them, slandering, all the time. They are awful neighbors, awful. Never loan anything to them. Never allow your children to be babysat by them. Who knows what they'll do? Okay, those are the people that are obviously under God's wrath, and the world says these people are to be avoided. You give them money, and they will go spend it extremely foolishly on destructive things to themselves and other people. All right, so there are people like this in our lives that we know about, and what do they need? They need God's righteousness, all right? They're different, though, than the person that we're going to look at today in Romans 2, and this is the moral man. Up here on the on the screen is a picture of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was known for his morality. So, what Romans 1 shows us is immoral behavior. It's not just sexual immorality, which that is part of Romans 1, but you notice that list. There was a lot of other categories, a lot of other sins that are in this immoral category, where if you don't have morals, you don't have a moral compass, you can't be controlled by someone's rules, you are going to be an immoral person. Okay, that's Romans 1. However, Romans 2 says there is a moral person, and the moral people in the world are look down their noses at the immoral people and say, I can't believe I got this person in my family. I can't believe this person lives next door to me. I can't believe this is my co-worker. I can't trust them. I can't can't even talk to them. Every time they open their mouth, it's just vulgar. It's like raw sewage coming out of their mouth. We know people like this. And the moral people in the world try to avoid the immoral people, but the moral people are in no better shape eternally than the immoral. That's a hard truth because there are a lot of good, in quotes, good people that you would like to have as your neighbor. You would let an unsaved person. Watch your kids. Watch your house. I've done it. You've probably done it, too. Why? They're not immoral. They're not the Romans 1 person. They're Romans 2. So let's look at Romans 2 and see what the moral person... Why are they not right with God? That's our first question that uh, verses 1 to 5 are going to answer. Why is the moral person? We understand the immoral person is not right with God. God's let them go. The world says, eh, avoid those kind of people. Don't have them in your inner circle of friends. If you have to put up with them, put up with them, but don't don't trust them. They're not trustworthy. But now Romans 2 says, therefore, you have no excuse. Second time he said no excuse, back in verse um, 20, I believe. It says that they are verse, yeah, end of verse 20, that those who uh, reject God and creation, they have no excuse. And he says, okay, but there's another category of people that aren't right with God, and they're not the immoral of Romans 1. They're the moral person. They're the quote-unquote good people in this world. Verse verse 1 says, oh man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same things what are the same things he doesn't give another list of sins here it has to go back to romans 1. okay so in context context helps us understand and when this very logical book whenever you don't understand something in romans look before or after it to see and this will help you understand as you read through uh, this book of romans so He says here, you're practicing the same things. You're doing the same things. With that list of verses 29, 30, and 31, before any of us were believers in in Christ, and Christ forgave us, all of us have this, we, we look like this too. Okay, It wasn't blatant, it maybe wasn't full of, or filled with, this wasn't what was consuming our life, and we, we felt. So, here's, here's a, how the moral person is slightly different than the immoral person. The moral person, when confronted with sin, feels bad for sin. They feel bad that they are pick any sin out of 29 to 31. Anytime they're confronted by an employer, by a parent, by a, a, go, a good friend, they will say, Oh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that shouldn't cheat on your taxes. Yeah, I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. You shouldn't uh, be on your phone when you're clocked in. Yeah, I know, I shouldn't be on my phone. The immoral person says, I don't care if I'm on my phone or not. They're not looking. I'm just going to, their one rule in life is don't get caught. But the moral person says, oh, I, I, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm not getting it though. But whenever you in the, in the world are trying to do what's right, you're trying to pay your taxes and you're trying to be a good husband and you're trying to be a good father and you're trying to be a good son and you're not wanting to disobey your parents, but you're still disobeying your parents. when you're trying to tell the truth and you're still lying, when you're trying to do what's right, you, and you look at people around you and they're not trying to do what's right, you're going to start judging them. You're going to think... Can't they get it? Don't they realize they're only going to get entry-level jobs if they are always on their phone, if they're always lying, if they are never trustworthy, they're never going to get more than minimum wage. But some people don't get it. That's the immoral life. But the moral person rises in the workplace. They're trustworthy. Whatever given a job, they'll do it as, as hard as they can work. They'll work extra. They, they typically don't complain that things are really out of order, really unjust. And those who are trying hard, these would be uh, the CEOs. These would be the politicians. These would be uh, anyone who has a business uh, that uh, you can trust. Their Google reviews are really high for their business because they are, they, whatever they say, they try to come through. Okay? They are trustworthy. If they're your neighbor, they borrow something, they get it back. If they break something they borrow, they pay for it and they get it back to you. If you want them to check on your house when you're on vacation, they will do it, a good job at this. You like having them as a neighbor. You like having them as a fellow employee or if you're an employer, you love having them work for you. They show up on time. They work hard. The problem, though, is they're not right with God. So Romans 1 is obvious these people aren't right with God. Now Romans 2, are you telling me that people that are good people aren't right with God? No, I'm not telling you that. Romans 2 is telling you that. The moral, and Jesus confronted this man who was a rich young ruler, and Jesus said, so how do you read the law? He says, I have obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus listed off some of them, and the guy says... All those I've kept from my youth. Now, to keep the Ten Commandments is a lot of work. Really hard. And yet people think, if I can just obey the Ten Commandments, I'll be right with God. And Romans 2 is going to say, no. You think by obeying laws that you can be right with God. The problem is there's more to it. Romans 2 says, in judging other people, you condemn yourself. See that there in verse 1? You condemn yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, are practicing. You're doing the same things. Now, you may not be doing it full-time. You're doing it part-time, though. It's not blatant, in-your-face rebellion against all authority. No, it is Subtle rebellion. It's just a little gossip here and a little gossip there. What a little slander here. I don't really like my boss. And I'm going to tell the Romans 1 workers that I work with, bosses, I don't know about him. And then they take it and they, they blow it up. These people feel bad for their sin. The world, though, approves of this lifestyle. They're fine if people are moral, upright. If you were married to a moral person, it wouldn't be too bad. They're not trying to cheat on you. They're not trying to lie to you all the time. They're honorable with how they uh, handle themselves. They could stay married to the same person for 50, 60 years. And this, they're still not right with God, though. Because they're doing the things that they are judging the Romans, one crowd, for doing. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. If you are one time, look back at verse 29, if you are one time unrighteous, you're going to be condemned by God. One time you're evil, one time you want what someone else has, that's covetousness. Elsewhere in Scripture, it calls it idolatry. If you're one time coveting, you're under God's wrath. One time you have wanted to hurt somebody, that's malice, under God's wrath. One time you were discontent with what other people had, you're envious, under God's wrath. One time you had a murderous thought, I wish I could kill this person. They're so annoying. You're under God's wrath. One time... You have started or continued an argument, strife. You're under God's wrath. One time you have lied, deceived. You're under God's wrath. You know what I'm doing? I'm just going down the list of Romans 1, 29, 30, and 31. So when you and I share the gospel with a moral person, take them to Romans 2, and then from Romans 2, go back to Romans 1 like I'm doing now. Why? Why? Because when you watch someone who thinks they're right with God and you show them they're not right with God, it's going to be like the rich young ruler. Does he go away happy? Scripture says he goes away sorrowful. Here I am, the world approves of my lifestyle, and why can't you Christians approve of my lifestyle? Because Romans 2 says, doesn't allow us to do that. If we approved of the moral person's lifestyle and that moral person is condemned to hell for all eternity, we have not helped them. We have deceived them. And anytime we deceive someone, it is not a help. When we deceive people, (laughs) this is how we treat enemies. This is not how we treat friends that we care about. We tell them the truth. Jesus told the rich young man, the rich young ruler, the truth. The rich young ruler did not want to hear the truth, and he walked away from Jesus sorrowful. We can tell moral people the truth from Romans 2. God's judgment, look at verse 2. God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. There are sins in that list of 29 to 31 that we practice, that we get good at deceiving people. Little white lies, we say. There is strife arguing that we get good at. Why? Because we practice it. There are haughty, boastful things that we do that we get good at because we Practice it. The moral are condemned. Why are the moral under God's wrath? Their judgmental thoughts and their judgmental actions. Verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And there are a lot of moral people like the rich young ruler. They're really good employees. They're really good neighbors. They're really good spouses or they're really good grandparents or children. You like having them in your family. But when dealing with Romans 2, you ask them if you do those sins, of Romans 1, 29 to 31, do you think in doing those things that you are going to escape the judgment of God? And the obvious answer is what? Absolutely not. But what does the rich young ruler think? He is going to escape the judgment of God until faced with the truth. And there are so many people around us that think living a moral Upright life is going to somehow take away God's wrath on the day of judgment. And Romans 2 says, oh, no, it's not. Why? Because their thoughts and their actions are condemning them. Verses 4 and 5. Or do you, and more questions here, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, and patience. Now, here is what moral people think about God. A loving God would not send me to hell because I am good. Is that true or false? It's a false statement. But how many moral people believe that false statement? Nearly all of them. I am better than Romans 1, immoral people. I am not like these people at work. I'm not like that neighbor. I'm not like that cousin, that whatever. I am better than that. But you're still under God's wrath. And they think a lie about God, that God in his kindness and forbearance, that means he puts up with sin, and patience. He is not going to send me to hell. But what does Romans 2, 4 tell us why God is forbearing and patient and loving? It's to lead people somewhere, not to lead them to self-justification that I am okay in my morality and away from Christ. Oh, no. Your incorrect view of god will lead you to hell it is meant to lead them somewhere what does verse 4 end with it's meant to lead you to repentance turning from practicing the sins of romans 129 to 31 don't justify your sin don't justify little white lies there are no little white lies they're all lies All deceit is an affront to the glory of God. And if you don't think that, Romans 3 is coming. God's kindness, forbearance, patience, He allows people to live moral, away from Him lives their whole life at times, and on their deathbed they repent. And he says, "Welcome into my family." They breathed their last and living, decades and decades away from God. He allows them into heaven, for all eternity. Because he is rich in kindness, but he will not overlook sin. If you, in your morality, think I can earn salvation, you're no better than the rich young ruler. And you're going to walk away from this message today sorrowful. You're going to live the rest of your life sorrowful. You're going to face the end of life without peace and joy. There are unrepentant thoughts and not just actions. Look at verse 5 here. But because of your hard and impenitent, that is the word for not repentant, in penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here are moral people look, looking and like, man, I am really good. I do a lot of good things. I recycle. I coach uh, my kid's baseball team. And I volunteer at this. And I am honest as best as I can here. And I treat my employees well. And I treat my spouse well. And I remember my kid's birthdays. And on and on and on the list goes. And they think by doing all those things, They will escape the judgment of God. And Romans 2, 1 to 5 says, you're not going to escape God's judgment. You are storing up wrath. And why are you storing up wrath? Because your heart is the same as Romans 1 heart. And what's causing people to, to be immoral in Romans 1 is a hard unrepentant heart and what's causing people to justify their morality and their goodness is their unrepentant hard hearts unrepentant lives are fueled by a wrong view of God in verse 4 and then hard hearts in verse 5 here's what's going to happen though if you listen to this message and others And you don't soften your heart. You justify yourself again and again and again and again. You know what's going to happen? Your heart's getting harder every time you hear the truth and you reject it. You hear the truth and you reject it. You hear the truth and you reject it. You can go from Romans 2 to Romans 1. God starts letting you go too? How many times is the Holy Spirit going to have to convince you that you are lost and you need Jesus Christ to rescue you from your morality? Say, I don't need to be rescued from my morality. You don't understand Romans 2 then. Because morality is condemning you to hell. And your unrepentant thoughts and your unrepentant heart are keeping you from humility. You get no grace from God unless you're humble. Every believer here, every believer that's ever walked on the face of the earth, has fallen on their face before God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then they got saving grace, and not before. Verses 6 to 11 answers another question, I believe. What does God's wrath look like for the moral? So Romans 1 told us what God's wrath looked like for the immoral. God starts letting people go. You don't want me. You want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What you can see in creation, you're going against creation. You're going against your creator. Are you serious? That's Romans 1. But in Romans 2, and God's wrath looks like God just letting people go. Here's what what God's wrath looks like for the moral person of Romans 2. Look at verse 6. He will render, that means he will give, to each one according to his work. So you will stand before God by yourself. There's no group therapy, nor group session before the judgment seat of God. You and God, he knows all things about your life. He can look right inside better than an x-ray or a CAT scan and see your heart. Is it hard? Is it unrepentant? He will render to each one according to his works. Verse 7, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life now if you are a moral person you're constantly evaluating your life and your morality compared to other people and your thought is i just got to be more moral than other people around me and you may think you're better than people around you until there's a christian who still struggles with sin but they've been forgiven and you haven't been forgiven you're trying to earn your salvation by your morality And on the day of judgment, you're going to, when God's justice is revealed, it says here, that you're going to watch God give eternal life to someone who you think is less moral than you are. If you've never killed someone and you watch David, the king, who was a murderer, get eternal life, you're like, what? No way! I didn't kill somebody! I didn't take somebody's wife. Yet here is this immoral adulterer, David, gets eternal life, and I get eternal death. Well, your judgment scale is you being the judge. You're not the judge. It's a problem with all moral people. They think they are helping God or doing God's job. God doesn't help needing judge. God has given the judgment to the Son, we saw it again in Acts, and the Son will judge perfectly. So who is it that gets eternal life in verses 6 and 7? It's it's very subtle here, because this passage is about God's wrath and not about God's uh, grace and kindness and mercy. He says to the moral person, you will watch those who by patience in doing good now a moral person their compass says just do good don't do evil do good don't do evil do good don't do evil do good that's i mean they wake up thinking that they live their whole life thinking that and here when they get see god's judgment here is someone who has done good but this person's different than them they have patience Also, could be endurance. What? And this person has done good while seeking Christ's glory and Christ's honor. And Christ is not mentioned here in in particular, but Romans is going to get to that. So here is someone who has not tried to get their own glory. This person has trusted in Christ's glory, Christ's honor, Christ's immortality. And when they know Christ and lived for Christ and doing good for Christ, then they will give eternal life. They will get eternal life. But contrast with verse 7 is verse 8. But those for those who are self seeking, another translation may say selfishly ambitious. Oh, that's the moral person. If we were to go back and look at the rich young ruler, this guy, if he is a self-made millionaire as a young person, he's got some skills. He's also probably a very good thinker, and he thinks, I'm a very, very good person. And when Jesus tells him he's not a good person, and reveals that he is trusting in his wealth instead of in Christ, he walks away. Let's go down, instead of looking at verse 8, let's go down to verse uh, 10, which matches verse 7. Also talking about God's judgment in verse 9, but verse 10, but but glory and honor and peace is for everyone who does good. Does good there, and doing, or well-doing in verse 7, they are the same word. So here is a moral person watching God give eternal life and glory and honor and peace to those who are doing good. And this person has tried his whole life or her whole life to be a good person. And the world says, you're a good person. And they believe this lie that they're a good person. And they watch God's judgment is coming toward them. And they watch people that aren't as good as them. And they're getting God's mercy and kindness And they're getting God's glory and honor and peace. And God shows no partiality here. doesn't matter your nationality, your ethnicity, or whatever. Jew first, also the Greek. They will watch the patient, the good, be given eternal life. And the person who has tried their best to be good if they could voice their opinion, they would say, God, this is not fair. You're telling the God who knows all things, who is the perfect judge, what he is doing is not right? Romans 2 is condemning the moral person. Well, while they watch the patient, the good, those who are relying on Christ and not themselves, those who endured with Christ's glory in mind. They're given eternal life. And you can imagine what the moral person is not given here. Verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking, self-determined, self-justifying, self-help gurus. How many self-help books are out there now? Oh, Amazon is full of them, and we have to be discerning as Christians, reading self-help stuff. If there's not Jesus is the ultimate help, then that's worldly wisdom that we are to avoid from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the the world's wisdom. Well, back to Romans 2 here, and it says, those who are self-seeking, How does God know if we're self-seeking? Well, he knows the hearts, right? He knows if we're self-seeking and we do not obey the truth, but we obey unrighteousness. There will be what? Wrath and fury. These are synonyms, but fury is the more intense. It also could be translated indignation, fiery wrath. This is why we preach God's Word. This is why we share God's Word with those who are moral and say, you are not as good as you think. Please look at Romans 1 and 2. I'll study it with you. I'll read it with you. Answer any questions that you have. If there's a question that I don't have, I'll ask somebody else to help. And please, I don't want you to end up where Romans 2 ends up. They're self-seeking. They're not obeying the truth. They're not obeying Jesus' words. They're not obeying what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do, sell all that he had and give it to the poor. And then he was really pointing his finger on what was, this man was trusting in, what his idol was. It was money. It wasn't God. Or your idol might be something else. You want to look good in front of people. You want to be known as a moral person. Is that your idol? Who gets glory when you're a good moral person? You get glory. Who gets glory if you realize you're not good and you're trusting in Christ? Christ gets glory. This is how it's set up. God's wrath looks like for the moral person, they will watch the patient and the good be given eternal life, and then they will get, because of their disobedience in verse 8, and their obeying unrighteousness, their life looks like dabbling in verses 29 to 31 of romans 1 the world approves of that though but the world's not the judge of people for all eternity christ is he's not delegating that to anyone else so you're going to inherit or you're going to get there will be it's definite it's sure it's coming You're going to get wrath and fury in verse 8. And then verse 9, more frightful, fearful language. There will be, sure, there will be tribulation, trouble, and distress for every human being who does evil. I'm not making this up, and I am trying to scare you. God's Word is meant to strike fear in the heart of every single person who's trusting in their own righteousness. You ought to be scared to death. And I could say it much stronger than that, and I wish I could. If you will fear God now, you will turn from sin. If you do not fear Him now, your heart's going to get harder and harder You're going away from God. You do not want to be under His wrath, His fury. You don't want to have tribulation and distress for all eternity. This is straight from God's Word. You will realize that your morality will not help you escape the righteous judge. There will be, in your future, wrath and fury, and you will not escape it. It is not for a hundred years or a thousand years. It is forever. Please meditate on forever. Please meditate on God's fury and wrath and tribulation and distress. And if you don't know what that exactly looks like, read Revelation 6 to 19, and that's that's a taste of the wrath and fury of God. And you're here today, and you're still breathing. Please repent. See, morality was motivated by selfish ambition, the first part of verse 8 says. Selfish ambition leads to disobeying Christ and obeying your flesh and judging and doing Christ's job and looking down your nose at other people that are less moral than you and just trying harder to be moral. And as you try harder to be moral in your flesh, it's just ending you in more and more disobedience. And as you are at disobedience, you are earning God's wrath. You can see how this is a very logical progression in verses 8 and 9. This logical progression is your friend who's talking you off of the ledge. Don't go out into eternity on your own. If you're here today and you're trusting your own morality, stop! Stop! There's one way to be right with God, and it's not by doing good works. Because all your good works are as filthy rags. Finally, in verse 10, or 11, end of verse 9, it says that, God, every human being who does evil, will get those four things from God. The Jew first, also the Greek. Why the Jew first? Well, the gospel in, in Romans 1.16, one of our theme verses for the whole book, the gospel is for the Jew first, also to the Greek. Christ came as a Jewish Messiah, and we know that in the book of Acts, the gospel is spreading to the Greeks and the, all those who aren't Jews as well. So the Jews are judged by God first, and then all those who are not Jewish. And then everyone who is is doing good in verse 10 receives uh, good, receives eternal life, back in verse uh, 6 and 7. The Jew first, also the Greek. God shows no partiality. You're not going to be judged less severe than anyone else. You're not going to be judged more severe than anyone else. God is the righteous judge, He shows no partiality. That's very clear. Old Testament, New Testament. You will realize the third thing that the judge is impartial. You may hate God, but hatred of God is how the immoral person lives all the time. You may hate God right now. That's how the moral person sometimes thinks about God. Say, this isn't right. I don't like this. Okay, you don't get to write the Bible. I didn't write the Bible. All I'm doing is explaining it to you and helping you to humbly put yourself under the truth here today. And those of us here are believers, we need to be discerning on who we're talking to. Is it Romans 1, person under God's wrath, or is it Romans 2, under God's wrath? How can we help the moral? We follow our Savior's example to help them realize they cannot obey all the law. Can't do it. If you think you can, look at Matthew 5. And I guarantee you, you'll be guilty. You can't obey the law. The law is not meant to be a door. The law is meant to be a brick wall that you can run into. How many times you got to run into the law before you realize I got to find a door? I can't keep running into the wall. Christ said, "I am the door." We give them an accurate view of God's person because the moral person here is an inaccurate view of God. Go back to Romans one, uh, two. Uh, so, the immoral person suppresses the truth and unrighteousness even though they have creation. Eh, they don't need God at all. They hate God. Well, they know to be true about God. Here, the moral person thinks they're the judge and God's the judge. They don't understand how God's going to judge them. Um, and they don't, they're misinterpreting God's kindness, thinking, I can be self righteous because God is loving. When God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. When you and I come and submit ourselves to God, He is faithful and just to, to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every single person, no matter how much you have practiced sin, 1 John 1.9 is your best friend. Give people an accurate view of God's person. There's something that's wrong about someone's theology if they think they can morally keep God's law or earn salvation by being a good person. And then finally, get an accurate view of God's Son. We haven't got there yet, uh, but this book is set up to lead you to, like a funnel, lead you to the door. There's one way to get to heaven. It's not by being good. Let's pray. Father, we do not hate you for telling us the truth. We love you. There may be a lot of people that we have to tell hard things to in life, and they may hate you for us telling them the truth, but we have to tell them the truth because of what's coming, and I pray that you give us boldness, kindness, and show them where they can get forgiveness in only one place, it's not by being good. And I pray that you would soften the hearts of those who have heard the gospel over and over and have walked away unchanged, and their hearts are harder and harder each time. I pray that today would be the day that their hearts are softened, and they would submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior from themselves. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen.